Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. Are you using the right mix of channels to get in front of your audience? Is your messaging personalized and delivered in a medium your audience responds to? Are you spending more time building reports than listening in on what your audience wants? These are not easy questions to answer. That's why our great friends at MDT Marketing are offering a free audit of your marketing efforts. Head to www.mdtmarketing.com edup and submit your information for your free consultation today. Look, guys, you got nothing to lose. It's free. I don't know why you wouldn't want a free audit to tell you what you're doing, whether it's effective, and how you can make some incremental changes that can make a big difference moving forward. That's www.mdtmarketing.com slash edup. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds across higher education and beyond. My name is Dr. Joe Salustio, always with me. The one, the only, the incredible, the outstanding, the humble, Elizabeth Liva. Liz, how are you doing? You were doing so good until you said humble. I, I was actually like, I was like, oh, this is awesome. This needs to be my new intro. And then you said humble. I was like, oh, man. You're like, I ain't humble. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so growing like humble. crazy. <laughs> so what's up? I'm doing amazing. I am you so know, happy for us to be speaking again since yesterday yeah, yeah since well, <laughs> we speak so every day <laughs> it seems like i talk to you more than i talk to my family these days i think, We're doing I, so think many recordings. You, I think that you do i literally talk to you like three four times a day uh, funny story for for the audience uh ah. yesterday which by the way this when you actually listen to this episode yesterday won't mean what it no. means to us right now, because this will be about four to six weeks uh, before it pops out. But yesterday, Liz and I were chatting and my wife came in to bring me lunch, which by the way, shout out to my wife who's bringing yeah, me lunch. Yeah, she's a rock star. And then uh, my wife, whose name, her name's Antonella, and Liz decided to have a 10 minute conversation over the top of me while I was working. That's it right. Fantastic. While you were eating your lunch, your your hand delivered lunch. So yes, I mean, well, yeah. So. We, we, we're all humble, Liz. Yeah, let, let me absolutely. tell you. Absolutely. Well, go. you know, what I like to do, Liz, is I like to have firsts. Okay. I love when we have a college president that comes Absolutely. on to a podcast for the first time. And we've had many where we say, Hey, have you done a podcast before? And they go, what's a podcast? Kind of like you did when you, we asked you I to did. co-host one time. I did. You I Googled, Googled it. You I Googled, Googled it. it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, in this case, we have a guest and he is the president of a art and design college. And mm-hmm. We've never had an art and design college on the Edup experience before. And you know, Liz, that our goal, one of our goals, so we have a lot of goals, but one of our goals here at the EdUp Experience is to bring on the most wide-ranging, diverse voices across higher education as possible. Yes. I think we do a pretty good job, don't you? I agree. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Well, now <laughs> we're going to have a president on, and he's the first of a College of Art and Design, and his name is Dr. Kurt Steinberg, and he's the president of Montserrat College of Art. Kurt, how you doing? Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me on. It's a it's an honor to have you with us. How are things going? How are you doing? Uh, by the way, for those of you that don't know Kurt, he is a amazing uh, bow tie wearer, 
we saw him on video very quickly and he, he knows how to rock a bow tie. So uh, Kurt, how you doing? I'm doing very well. It's uh, nice and sunny here today, which is uh, a great, but in all things, New England, it could change in half an hour, but it's uh, we'll take, we'll take, we'll take for uh, what it is right now. So it all works out. Well, you know, Kurt, the burning question for us, and, and this is one that I'm probably guessing that you've answered a million times, but yep. let's think about art and let's think about design and you think yep. about hands and you think about canvases and you think about painting and drawing and graphics and doing all of these things in person. And obviously, you know, with the pandemic, uh, it took away some of the functions of uh, some, if not all, for in Elizabeth's case, all functions of uh, physical uh, movement that uh, she never left her house. Uh, she stayed, stayed and never even goes to the mailbox. Talk to us about, you know, how you navigated the last year uh, during the pandemic and, and how your operations were affected and how have you guys adjusted? Sure. Um, you know, like every other higher ed institution, a year ago, we were in emergency mode well, around this time. Uh, it just trying to preserve the rest of the year. Uh, and we took spring break off um, and said, we're not coming back. And we went completely online. And so we, uh, our faculty who are absolutely amazing, um, spent the time um, just studying up on uh, what online would look like. In about a two week period, they switched all their curriculum and all of their, their work over to more of an online group. We were able to get training for them in that period of time. And it wasn't perfect, but I thought it was, you know, for, for what we were, uh, for the time that we were allowed to have, uh, I think it came out really well. Uh, and we learned a lot during that period of time. And over the summer, we dedicated ourselves to coming back to campus and being able to create a healthy and safety envir safe environment not just for our students, but for the entire Montserrat community. That's been number one for us. Uh, I was very upfront with everybody when we first did that. And that is that um, the revenue piece to me couldn't be the primary driver of anything. It was how do we create the best learning experience for our students? How do we create the best environment and safe environment for our staff and faculty at the end of the day? And then also the neighborhood. We're in Beverly, Massachusetts, which is just north of Boston. And we also, I wanted to make sure that we were uh, also not contributing uh, to any negative things for the community itself, that we wanted to be an area that worked with the city of Beverly and made sure that everybody, including our neighbors, were healthy and safe. So as we entered the, the fall, um, we came up with three ways of delivering what we do. Uh, we knew it had to be somewhat in person. So we also uh, have had uh, a vast majority of our students in our residence halls on campus uh, this whole entire year. And we've had um, all of our liberal arts and art history has been online. A certain percentage uh, of our studio uh, classes have been in what I would call hybrid, which is there's a definition in every college of what that is. The Montserrat definition is that 50% of the class is in person. The other 50% views, we put webcams in all of our learning environments and they view from there, from wherever they are with their computer. Uh, and we were then, and then that flips. And then the last part that we were able to do was uh, for those classes that were small enough 
and we could do the social distancing, uh, we allowed for uh, in-person uh, studio classes. And the last part, because I could go on probably way too long for anybody, but it's is that we've also had really robust testing, uh, surveillance testing, and we've only had six positive COVID cases, knock on wood, so far this year. None of them uh, were on-campus transmissions, and in working with the Broad Institute of MIT, uh, able to get uh, tests turned around results in less than 24 hours, most in 16 hours, which then allowed us to quarantine and do the things that we needed to do. But the number one factor that has led to what I think is just in incredible achievement by the community is that the community itself has really been very serious about keeping to the rules of engagement that we set up at the beginning of the year. And that has been our number one success factor. You know, um, you're only as good as the, as the one person uh, when it comes to this stuff. And every single student, every single staff member, every single faculty member has done exactly what they need to do. And the proof is that, is that positivity rate that's been so low. So that's what we've been able to do. And I, it's not perfect, but I, it's, we try to shape the best possible experience for our students uh, as much as possible. Well, I'll tell you, anybody that comes on that says they did a perfect job would be lying. And I'd like to, you know, that's so, so perfect is the, is a version of getting through it at this point. Oh yeah, absolutely. You, you know, and, and so I appreciate that. You know, one of the uh, reasons I was excited to, to talk with you is because I feel like arts, the arts is having a renaissance of sorts. Um, mm -hmm. And you look at the fourth industrial revolution and the role that technology is going to play. And then you look at your programs like, oh, I don't know, animation and interactive media, illustration, graphic design, photo, video, and film, uh, printmaking. These are necessities um, mm -hmm. for animation, for gaming, for VR, for AI, for all of the things that we're going to experience from technology. Uh, a technology perspective going forward, arts plays a critical foundation for how we're going to experience technology moving forward, whether that's learning technology, gaming technology, uh, iPhone technology, for that matter, all of it is, is coming from a foundation of art and design. How are you um, positioning your programs to be at the forefront of, of being at that renaissance of, of skill necessity of creation of the future? Well, I think that the number one thing that we do is we partner very, very strongly with the business community, the places where our students are going to end up working. Um, you cannot graduate from Montserrat uh, without doing at least one 120-hour internship. Um, no one gets a diploma unless they complete that. Uh, that is the one of the most important requirements. Uh, and we have a incredible career services and internship uh, uh, coordination uh, with a great team. Uh, Beth Price uh, heads that up and does just an outstanding job. You know, we're a small school by intention. We have about 400 students. Uh, and so we have over 50 students in internship placements actually this semester, even with COVID and pandemic, because we've worked with the businesses to actually cr create a uh, mostly remote opportunities with them um, and get the, them comfortable with that. And then also work with our students to make that comfortable as well, because we really do believe in the practical experience. 
what underlines everything we do and the way that we're approaching our curriculum development and evolution as well is that I, I truly believe that the age, and you you've, guys have heard this, I'm sure, um, you know, the, the idea of the starving artist, right? And uh, I can tell you that when I get on my soapbox, the one thing I make sure get, that gets said is that any art and design school that promotes the idea of the starving artist, that is a, a, an immoral and unethical act. Um, what we have to do as art and design institutions, and Montserrat is fully dedicated to this, is that our, our job is to support a creative life. Our job is to make sure that our students, like anybody else, can have a fulfilling life make decisions, set goals for themselves. Like everybody's idea of success is different. We're not gonna predispose that on them, but we're gonna help them kind of navigate that. And that's a lifelong commitment that we make. So you graduate from here and it doesn't end. You can come back and use any of our services, go to any of our stuff. We actually have a, a lifelong learning credit where our graduates can actually come back and take um, classes where there's available space uh, to retool to re-educate, to get new experiences as they move forward. Um, and we just started doing that uh, a couple of years ago when I first got here. Uh, and that's important as well. And we're now in the midst of hiring our third generation of faculty. And so that is an um, important moment for us. And we're uh, heavily investing in our 3D design uh, department, our, in our animation, uh, in our media arts and design disciplines. Um, because 75% of our students are in those disciplines. Yeah, um, I mean, right? That's the future. Yeah. Right. And all the technologies you talked about, the VR, all those things are, you know, experiential design, you know, is, is the next, is, is what's happening now. And we have to make sure our students are part of that. What's great is that any of our students are equipped to really deal with any of these new things, because at the core of our uh, curriculum, whether it's fine arts or design or artist educate, education is, um, is narrative, the ability uh, to tell a story. Uh, and that is sort of in the DNA of everything we do. Uh, because we find that if a student is able to really do that, to do character development, to do all those kinds of different things, uh, to have a point of view, uh, to make an argument, um, those are really, really important skills that actually makes them probably a couple of jumps ahead of everybody else around the table when they're at a, a place of business working. Well, you know, you mentioned your soapbox at the beginning of, of that question, and I don't know if you've met Liz, but she also likes to soapbox. So Liz, I want to bring you into the conversation here. <laughs> what a great segue. I appreciate that. Yeah, I thought you might. <laughs> actually, you know what? It's, it's very interesting because I was about to say that my brother, my youngest brother, actually my baby brother, he went to school for um, computer animation. And I'm so glad that you address that stereotype, the idea that if someone goes to school for art and design or something to do with the creative, that that means that they're not going to be able to find a job or that they have, you know, being an art, being an art major or pursuing art is like something frivolous. So you won't be able to make a, a good a good living. He actually has worked for Lockheed Martin. He currently works for Universal Studios. He design, He's in Japan right now and he designs their... Um, their rides, the, the rides that they have at the amusement, at the theme park, he actually does that. So I'm, I'm so glad that you're talking about 
the idea that there's so many different career paths that fall in that creative. And now that so, so much of the, the content that we are consuming in, in terms of when it, when it comes to um, computers, when it comes to um, internet, when it comes to yeah. video games, so much of that is going to come from people that are pursuing those degree programs. I think one of the frustrations that Joe and I had in the very beginning of the pandemic, at the pandemic's beginning, was that a lot of uh, the, 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 the futurists were saying, oh, you know, small art colleges or maybe other niche, uh, religious institutions, any niche school is pretty much in danger of not being able to weather the storm when it comes to this. Yeah. How are you able to address some of those issues? So, and, and also the residential piece, I think is fascinating that that campus is actually residential. Can you talk about that a little bit as well? Yeah, sure. I, it, so I would say, because I've heard that, that comment uh, as well, and I've actually found the opposite to be true. I think focused institutions or what I call, you know, lack of a better term, niche institutions are actually have a broader appeal right now. Um, we're actually uh, on the admission side, really seeing some success. Obviously we took a, a mild hit as everybody did, uh, but compared to some institutions it was very minor. Um, but our retention has been in in the mid 90% area, which I have to say, I would have thrown a big party in normal times. They have those kinds of numbers. Um, so we're keeping our students. I one one thing, if I if I can, I want to bring and hopefully it'll be the only time I bring statistics into our conversation, but I think it's important for people to get some understanding of this. But nationally, if you look at the economic data that's that's published by our, by the federal government. Uh, I try to remind people that uh, for the full breadth of commercial and for-profit arts, education, and individual artists, uh, it is a $919 billion industry in the United States. And it's 4.3% of our nation's gross domestic product, product, which is a larger share of the economy than transportation, tourism, agriculture, and construction. So the creative industries make up 4.3% of GDP for the United States. And I don't think a lot of people understand what an economic driver of uh, the people who graduate from my institution are uh, and the kind of contribution they make. Um, and so I just, you know, in talking again also to what you're doing, it's it, everyone thinks that, that, you know, there's, you know, one size fits all type of thing. No, these guys are problem solvers. We're training them to be problem solvers. So they actually are really equipped to do a whole bunch of different things when they get out there in the creative industries. We have a, a great alum, for example, uh, that was a film major. And she is now the lead drone pilot for a company called Greyvok. And she does drone films uh, for their clients. Um, so, you know, those are the kinds of things they're able to do out there. Um, and we also have our visual communications people working in places like Fidelity uh, and, and other companies like that, that, you know, the MBAs of the world can come up with the smartest possible uh, set of financial possibilities for people to invest in. But our graduates are the ones who actually have to make that, that idea of the fund and what it does uh, visually and uh, verbally accessible uh, to the common person. 
because that MBA person is not going to be able to sell the product. The brochure that comes in the mail, a, a, a graduate from one of our institutions is the one who actually did it. So, you know, people forget about that as well. Uh, so I just wanted to make sure I made some of those points. The, um, the, the, I think you were also asking about the, the living environment and the residences. If you're experiencing any level of marketing challenge right now, you've got to ask the hard questions and you need answers. Are you using the right mix of channels to get in front of your future students? Is your messaging personalized and delivered in a medium your audience and future students will respond to? And are you spending more time building reporting than listening in on what your students really want? All of these questions will get answered when you sign up for your free consultation with MDT Marketing. Head to mdtmarketing.com slash edup, submit your information, and talk to MDT. Don't go it alone. Find the right partner. The guys at MDT, the team at MDT is absolutely amazing. Whether your challenge is the cost of inquiries, your melt, your branding, the bad and incomplete information that come with your inquiries, whatever it is, an audit of your challenges will help your institution and it's free. mdtmarketing.com slash edup. Yeah, only because I'm from South Florida and I have seen, you know, some of the uh, the private uh, art and design schools and I've never seen, and this may just be my limited exposure to yeah. that, but I've never really seen uh, a, a, a totally dedicated school for art and design residentially. So how does that play into the student experience and how do you yeah. think that's beneficial when students are actually able to yeah. be surrounded and live in an environment that's so creative and, and what are some of the support right. mechanisms that you were able to uh, bring back when students were able to come back to campus? Yeah, so, so just to let you know, the, the majority of actually standalone art and design schools in the United States are residential. Um, uh, nonprofits. I, I did not know that. Yeah. So one of the things we're, we're part of a group called the Association of Independent Colleges of Art and Design, which also huh. includes the Art Institute of Chicago, RISD. These are, these are uh, 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 colleague institutions. They're all residential. CalArts, all residential. Ringling in Sarasota is actually also residential. Um, I didn't even know Ringling was, and I'm familiar with the school from being in, uh, you know, being in Florida, and I did not know that school was residential. Yeah, so the uh, so what we do, we're a little bit unique in the sense that we don't have a cafeteria. Uh, we believe in apartment style housing, and so we house about 85% of our students um, in, in our own uh, residences. Uh, that's actually helped us with the pandemic because uh, we were able to treat um, each apartment as its own living community. And we're able to create rules that were pretty straightforward, like no, no ambiguity in them. If you're in your apartment and you're with your, with your apart, uh, apartment mates, your roommates, uh, you don't have to wear a mask. But once you exit your apartment, the mask goes on. It doesn't come off. And we didn't allow uh, guests between the apartments or the buildings. Um, and so that's been a real big part of our, our success. Uh, and our residence advisors and the student affairs staff, uh, we have a lot of them who actually live on campus. So we had a, a high level of staff involvement, uh, student staff, as well as professional staff, uh, being, being able to be supportive of everyone as well. 
So that's been, that was really, really important. Uh, that that's where some, a lot of the success came from. I have another question before I turn it back over to Joe, because this is something that with my brother going to school for um, computer animation, I went to school for journalism. I think one of the things as first-generation college students, my parents were concerned that you're going into a field that, you know, are you going to be able to make money? What are you going to do to sustain yourself? What is a job placement? What is what 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 do you make if you're a, you know a writer? What do you make if you're a computer um, uh, animation designer? How do we get that message out there, do you think, in terms of that pipeline when we're looking at just from your own experience at your institution, as well as some of the other partner institutions that you work with, how do we create that narrative and explain to parents about the vast majority? And I think for myself, my brother was very steadfast because he loves art. He loves um, computer animation. But for me, I was very scared about being a writer and, yep. and maybe not being able to make a career. And I actually ended up being in education because I felt like, okay, at least I know I'll be able to have a job. How do we make sure that that message that just because you know, you're a journalism major and you're a writer doesn't mean that you have to necessarily work for a newspaper. There's so many different career paths. How do we get that out there to the K through 12 and the guidance counselors and the parents so that they do see the creative uh, arts and designs and, and some of those other fields as options for their students and, and for uh, the, the, the young generation coming up? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that's been, that's been an issue is I think the art design schools have not historically done a good job of communicating those things. Um, and we we're better at it now than we used to be. And we work on those narratives all the time. Uh, one of the things I, I make sure also for people to understand is that uh, my graduates go to really high-end graduate programs once they get out of here. So there's, there's two things. You get into graduate programs that are very high-end uh, from Montserrat. And because of our internship program, you have exposure in a way that, uh, that maybe others uh, in, your, in your situation don't. So therefore, you've got a leg up when it comes to going out there. We also try to have conversations with our students through our career services program, which is we have a four-year plan of them uh, being different levels of engagement with career services. So we want you to actually engage even as a first-year student all the way through fourth, and we tell you what, what you need to do. I think that's part of that education, trying to show them what the options are out there. Um, we also like to, like, for example, we, we talk about, you know, again, visual communicators um, trying to get them to understand also that they have options. So we have a number of people that work for Chambers of Commerce, for example, not a place that you would think, but Chambers of Commerce have like huge sort of graphic design and visual communication needs. And so we're able to get them there. Uh, we have a, a minor in entrepreneurial studies because we also want our students to have some business acumen before they leave. You know, a lot of our, a lot of our graduates if you say that your work life is somewhere between a 30 and 40 year experience are gonna be freelancers at some point, at least once. So they need to also be able to be equipped to be, have some business acumen to figure out how to price their services, how to do all those things. We're dedicated to that. I think a lot of art and design schools have started to become better at that as well. Um, so the support systems are probably there more than they ever have been. And the dedication by the individual schools, I know Montserrat is dedicated to this, is to, is to try to make sure that, that, that our students are successful. We do a lot of bringing in 
uh, businesses, not just creative businesses, but other businesses that might have creative opportunities in them and trying to expose our students to those opportunities. Um, as an example, in animation, you can think of the stuff you see on Saturdays or Pixar and all that stuff, and those are all great jobs. But you know, uh, an animator is also being used to try to communicate difficult subjects. So they use animations now at conferences. Um, scientists use animation to try to communicate the results and the work that they've done in some way. Um, there's also short advertising that's animated that's out there. Uh, you know, there's a number of, we, we know a, a number of people, for example, that have worked for Kraft Foods and other places uh, doing little 20 second, you know, animations. Um, it's about telling a story and anywhere the story needs to be told, our designers and our, and our media arts graduates are able to, to add value. And game design, even though we don't have a game design major here at Montserrat, our illustrators and our animators are, are hired into those spaces because it's about character development. It's about telling a story. Um, it's about designing the world in which that game exists, which are all the things that we teach here. It's really interesting. And you know what I want to say about what you just said is that you're really looking at how art can be repurposed, I don't want to say repurposed, but how it can solve for other problems beyond the obvious, right? And when you're talking about creating visuals to, you know, create conversational points, you know, it brings me to, you know, that, that it's really important to look forward, you know, how can these things be applied within a business context in a way that no one's thought of before. But, but then again, bringing back the point that, you know, art's a universal language, right? It, it, art, there's art everywhere. Everybody experiences art in some way. And, you know, I was going through your um, strategic plan and you have diversity, inclusion, and expansion as one of your key items. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about um, how, you know, your student body has reacted to the social um, uh troubles that we've had, how art has helped people understand or maybe work through some of their, you know, personal or internal biases or, or external problems that have had and talk about a little bit about how the societal disruption is, how, how Montserrat's dealt with that and how you plan to, you know, improve upon um, society through art uh, as we move forward to hopefully a more inclusive uh, society in general. That was a long question, but you get Yeah, yeah, that. no problem. Um, I'll do the best I can. It's uh I think the, the, the one thing that um, I've taken the opportunity to do is to press upon our students the fact that, you know, these classes that they, you know, because they're so into their creative process and what they want to do, right? General education and the, and, and, and the liberal arts portion of their education, which they're required to take, um, sometimes becomes like the last thing they do. I've tried to take, and I know my colleagues here and the senior staff have also taken the opportunity to, to use the last year's sort of set of events to let them understand that a socially aware uh, artist and designer is, is what we want them to be. And that the liberal arts um, curriculum helps them to ask the tough questions, to learn, and to be constantly open to new information and new points of view, 
Uh, and, uh, and to understand that as an artist and a designer, you're constantly evolving and that you need to open up all the way until the end of your days and be open to that. And the way that you're able to train yourself to do that is through the liberal arts component of what we teach. Um, in that a socially aware artist and designer is the most effective. I truly believe that an artist and designer that is not asking tough questions and interacting at some level with, uh, with some level of social awareness um, is, is not very useful, honestly, is not, is not adding everything they can to their discipline uh, and they're not gonna be a good communicator. So we are really working on that quite a bit. Uh, we've also, I think, uh, dedicated ourselves and have actually for a while, even before this past year, to really diversifying the kinds of art uh, that we bring to the campus, but also the artists that they're talking to and the designers they're talking to. Um, you know, we had, uh, uh, we've had a couple of great animators uh, come, uh, Taylor K. Shaw came to campus who is uh, really uh, pushing black female animators in New York uh, and, and exposing the students to, to what is incredible work that she's doing uh, we're 70% uh, women on campus, and we really need to do better in helping support them as women in design and in and, and the fine arts and as artist educators. And so bringing people that, that, um, that can sort of challenge their ideas and also represent them and give them a voice is really, really important. Uh, we brought a Cuban artist uh, right before the pandemic to really talk about his work and what he's been doing. Those are all things that are really important. We, in fact, had um, one of the one of the drawers of the Black Panther uh, uh, comic book here again, trying to expose our students to, you know, the the professional lives and the challenges they'd had to overcome, um, so that they understand the things and choices that they have to make uh, as they as they move forward uh, through these these uh, um, you know these tough places, these very competitive and not completely level playing fields uh, as they move forward. We're also dedicated and it's, uh, it's easier said than done, but I will tell you that we have a great opportunity here at Montserrat as we sort of look at our third generation of faculty hirings of making sure that our faculty reflect our, our diversifying student body. And we need to make sure that our students see themselves in the classroom. And we're not there right now, and we're dedicated to making it happen. I've probably had the best diversity in the in the pools of uh, three faculty full-time faculty members uh, right now, and I'm dedicated to forcing the issue with our faculty to make sure that they make the right choices for our students. And so we're in the middle of doing that right now, and it's uh, it's important. It's important to our. Uh, trustees. At that level, Montserrat's also been dedicated to that. When I first got here, we had one person of color on the trustees. We have now, if I'm right, I think four uh, uh, people of color on our trustees. And I want to add more because we need to have that perspective. We need to have those, those conversations and we need to be challenged uh, every step of the way to make sure we're doing the right thing. We also established two committees in the last year um, one is a committee that, that is our faculty, our staff, and our students. 
uh, dedicated to holding us accountable to that strategic plan goal that you talked about uh, and gathering the data to keep us honest about our progress or our slipping towards those goals. And it was important to have a community voice around that and that the students, the faculty and the staff were talking with each other about the challenges to meet those goals and what we needed to do to make change and to make progress. So that's a lot, but um, um, that's a lot, of, a lot of irons in the fire. And uh, I think we're making progress, but I, we can always do better uh, and we have to do better. Yeah, I love everything that you said because it is so reflective of the movement as a society, culturally, in terms of diversity, in terms of the Black experience and, and the, the new majority multicultural student body that we're going to be encountering over the next decade or so. And a lot of those students are going to be pursuing careers that are outside of the box. I know my daughter's 22 and she's looking at um, computers and and design and she's a gamer these are all different things that you know maybe a decade ago or two decades ago those were things that you know weren't even things that were maybe even thought about so I'm so happy that you're um instilling those messages and, and making that a part of your plan and we want to be respectful of your time you've really shared a lot of insight and a lot of things that definitely things that I didn't know and and, and definitely things I think will be um, valuable for our listeners so we appreciate you taking the time to share a lot of your thoughts and insights and uh, something that a lot of us maybe have not been exposed to but definitely uh, are interested in learning about as we kind of look at these different career paths that we can uh, share with potential students and, and create uh, more knowledge and, and a diverse student body and, and faculty as well. Um, so we want to wrap up with our last couple of questions. Uh, the first one being, if there's anything that we didn't talk about as far as your institution, as far as some um, initiatives, things that you want to make sure that we're aware of. And the second question would be, what do you see as the future for higher education? So I think um, just, I think we've covered a lot of what's been going on with Montserrat uh, College of Art. Um, you know, our, our piece is to, uh, you know, right now we're, we're evolving our, our curriculum. We're in the midst of hiring. I think we've gotten some really high quality uh, hires recently in our, in our uh, faculty. And um, just the, the, the smallness of the community, which is an intention. I guess that's the part that I haven't really covered. When I first got here, I asked the question, what does Montserrat add to the overall landscape of art and design colleges. And one of the things that I, I found is we're a small institution, but very financially strong. We're actually in the strongest financial position we've ever been in the 50 year history of the institution. And that's allowed us to, to start the dreaming process and, and really sort of bring ourselves to the next level in a lot of ways. Um, but it's also without losing, uh, I think the personal touch there's a, a student that needs that more personal educational experience. Uh, we know every single one of our students. If someone leaves, for example, in a, in, for whatever reason, we know the reason why, and we've tried everything we can to help them, I feel like, and that's sort of the value added that we have, that we have incredible faculty, staff that are dedicated to the success, individual success of every single student that's here. Uh, and we can do that because we know you and we know your name, we know your face, we know what you've been through. And a lot of ways we know your story. Uh, and 
and we'll and that's what we add to the to sort of the quilt of art and design uh, institutions across the United States and Canada, and uh, we'll continue to do that. Um, we are small by design, and we're also at the same time uh, really dedicated to diversifying making traditions on campus and making sure that our institution is reflective of the general global society. And so we're doing a lot of work in that in that in that area as well. On the um, the last part, as far as the future of, of higher education, I can say that um, we're spending a lot of time trying to understand what good things we can uh, gain from this past tough year that we've had. I think uh, online as an accessibility piece for us, as, as, a, as a way to increase the the time, uh, actually decrease, excuse me, the time to graduation, which saves money, um, but also making sure it's high quality education, that's always gonna be with us. And I think some percentage of our curriculum will, will continue to be online for all those reasons. I believe that we're also gonna be able to take advantage in a non-traditional way, uh, a more of a year round experience. If the student wants to do that and engage with us in that way, we need to be able to make that happen. And we're gonna be looking probably in October, we've decided that we're gonna really look at alternative pathways and really look at how can we help the student um, pick the best path towards graduation uh, that allows them some flexibility, but also uh, is more financially long-term stable for them. And that's part, of, that's part of our dedication, I think at the end of the day uh, to supporting a creative life. It's even making sure that when they graduate, they're graduating uh, with as little debt as possible uh, and that we've given them at least alternatives that allow them to graduate on time uh, and with the skills they need to be productive as soon as they graduate. Hey, everybody. We hope you enjoyed that episode of the Edup Experience. To learn more about the Edup Experience, please visit our website at www.edupexperience.com and subscribe to our email list. Please share this podcast, head over to Apple, and please give us a rating and review. We appreciate your feedback. And of course, subscribe to the Edup Experience so you're notified when our episodes drop. Here at the Edup Experience, our goal is to make education your business. Thanks for listening.